Well, good morning, everybody. Boy, what a great way to begin our time of worship today with life change and celebrating that. This past week, I was with Eileen Hines. Eileen has been watching online for the last six weeks, and this week is her... Uh, her doctor's visit to see if she can start putting weight back on her foot. And so we want to be praying for Eileen. But while we were visiting there just outside the front of the rehab center with her daughter, she had tears in her eyes and she said, I just miss my church family. And you guys have done such a good job of showing up and visiting and reaching out. Some of you have been there every week. But what she misses is what happened this morning to see Jessica give her life to Jesus Christ last week to see Ted and Alice Fleener place their membership here on Sunday morning. Let's welcome them home again this morning. Josh Schmidt, who surrendered his life to Jesus Christ in baptism last Sunday morning, and we just celebrate Josh. But Eileen said, God is doing such great things at Memphis Christian Church, and, and I just want to be there to be part of it. And Eileen, you will be here. She's going to go back. Uh, she'll have to go for some more rehab after she gets this weight put back on her feet. But she will be back, and she will be back sooner than she realizes. This past week, I just paid attention to some of the things that are going on through you here at the church. See you at the poll was Thursday, and we had a student or a staff member or adults at every school corporation in Southern Indiana to see hundreds of students praying at the poll. And what's exciting to me is that that's not the only time that we pray is during designated times, but we can pray throughout our day and throughout the good times and the challenging times. And those that were leading those events are students who pray every day and have surrendered their daily life to Jesus Christ. Colin Gillis, you may not know Colin yet. Colin's here on Saturday nights. He's hosted a few times for us on the weekend, but Colin is interning this fall with Youth for Christ right here in our county, and so we're excited about that going on in his life. You guys go, go ahead and clap. You want to clap? We're excited about that, and we want to know what's going on in your life, and so that welcome home card is your way to do that. Let us know the discoveries that you're making as you walk with Christ throughout the week. Let us know how we can be partnering with you and encouraging you in the next steps that you are thinking about. Well, grab your Bible and turn with me to James. The book of James is towards the back of the Bible. It's five chapters long. It's probably the oldest book in the New Testament. It's been in paper form for the longest time. And I encourage you to look this weekend with me at chapter one as James addresses a subject, and that is the subject of trials that come in our life, the difficult moments that come in our life, and the response that we are to have to those trials as Christ's followers, as believers. His entire book is written to encourage the early church and people like you and I to keep growing, to not back down, but to keep going in our faith. You know, the urge to quit, the urge to quit, the urge to give up or give in, sometimes the urge to even walk away is one that we all fight. In fact, when asked, what's the worst thing 
What's the worst thing that could happen to a person? It depends on the experiences that we've had so far in our life. And it depends on how we've handled those experiences. For example, for some of you in the room, the worst thing that could happen is happening right now, and that is that things aren't going as you had planned. Whether it's the raising of your children, whether it's retirement and you hope that this would be the season of your life, that you would be able to do things, but some health challenges come along and things just are not going as you had planned. For others, the worst thing that could happen would be for a spouse to be unfaithful or a parent to lose a child. For others, it would be diagnosed, to be diagnosed with a terminal disease like cancer, or to lose your income stream, to lose your job. Now, many in this room have experienced one or more of these trials, yet you not only didn't give up, but you persevered and you grew in your faith. You grew in a grit that you now have to face trials that are coming along now in your life. Some of you received great healing in your life as you persevered through these trials. So here's the question. If God uses trials to deepen our faith and enrich our relationship with him, which he does, and that's what we're about to see in the book of James, if God uses these things to deepen our faith, to grow our relationship with him, how do we stay the course? How do we persevere when we are in the middle facing one of these trials? And that's where James takes us in James chapter 1, verse 1, the first 12 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, the first word that jumps off of that page is not trials, is it? But it's joy. It's joy. How do we find joy when we're in the middle of facing the trial of our life? I want you to think about that because that's the answer that we're about to receive. Verse 4, verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want you to underline that. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, now, let's just be frank. Verse 5 seems out of context with what we're talking about. We're talking about trials and perseverance, and then James just jumps all of a sudden, starts talking about wisdom. But the two are connected because we're not talking about head knowledge. We're talking about the application of the knowledge that we have of Christ. And this is important to our perseverance. If any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts <clears throat> is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded unstable in all they do. 
Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Who love him. I want you to underline love. Love is a piece in all of this. Our love for God impacts how we persevere, how we trust him, how we lean into him when these trials come. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And we come to your word today seeking your will, not just a quick fix, not just an answer to our current dilemma, but we come seeking your instruction, your plan for our life when we face adversity. And God, you know because you made us. You know our every thought. You know that we are all prone to giving up, to reject what is often more difficult, only to accept defeat. And so today, may you transform our heart and our mind as we open ourselves up to your word and your commands for our life. May we stay the course. May we receive what it is that you have purposed for us. Lord, we come to you today in the name of the one who persevered that we could have this hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, in verse 3, when James says, the testing of our faith develops perseverance, this implies design, that there is a plan for the tests, the hardships in our life. And the plan is this. God uses trials to fulfill specific purposes in our lives, the greatest of which is the transformation of our faith. That means trials aren't to be avoided. Trials are to be faced head on with intentionality. God, what is it? What is it that you plan to accomplish through my perseverance in this hardship, in this trial that you have allowed? It is the trials of life, my friends, that we often see God work the most. Bill Stone, I want Bill, if he'll wake up for just a second, if Bill will stand up over here, I want you to see who he is because we have so many new folks in our congregation. Hey, Bill, wake up, stand up. <laughs> he acts like it's the first time he's ever done this. He loves standing up in front of people. 18 years ago, I sat across the desk from this man. His, his office, there was half of this room back there were offices. And his office was in that back corner and he was sitting behind his desk and he had a little chair. He cut the legs off so that when I sat behind his desk, my, my chin rested on his desk. It was a big desk and he was a big man and he led this congregation. And I had come months before to, to just fill in and to help leading worship and uh, part time. And I, I was out building houses with my other time. And Bill called me into his office one day and he said, you know, you've experienced a lot of trials and hardships in your life. And God has a purpose for those things. And he said, in fact, I believe that you're the one who should be preaching and leading this church, and I'll just help. And after about four months of praying and thinking about that, we decided to make that switch. And thank you, Bill. 
And I, and I want to explain something to you about that statement. Because at that time in Bill's life, he was a whole lot younger than he is now. This is 18 years ago this year. But at that point in his life, Bill's life had been pretty much untouched by many of the standards that we have in this room, but based on the things that, the, the hardships and things that now he had experienced death, he had experienced hardship in serving churches. But when it came to his children, they were pretty untouched. When it came to his health and the health of his wife, pretty untouched. And so he looked at me and, and he said, now you, you've experienced some of these things and this church here is going to experience things like that and they need to hear from you. And, and God's used me for that. If he's done anything with me, he's allowed me to come alongside of you in your trials. But then the tables got turned and I got to watch Bill suffer and Nancy suffer, not just serious health things, but to suffer as their children went through many of the things that you and I have gone through right here in this room. You see, Bill was right. And no, notice that James doesn't say if trials come. He says when trials come. Trials are part of the human experience. Whether you've experienced big trials yet or not in your life, they will touch you at some point because trials are part of our human experience. Job said in chapter 5, verse 7, you talk about a man who endured trials. He said, for man is born to trouble. As surely as the sparks fly upward, it's campfire season, right? It's been the nice, cool nights, and you know what happens when you light a fire and you throw a new log on the fire? Where do, those, where do those sparks fly up? They fly upward, and that is how certain that trials and trouble is to come in our life. Trials are diverse. Trials are diverse, and they're unpredictable. Yes, you know that if you make certain decisions, if you go certain places at certain times, that you are bound to run into trouble. Now, 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 we know that. But trials are also very unpredictable in their nature. James says we will face trials of many kinds. Now, those trials can be short. They can last just, just an hour or two. You, you get one of those Facebook, social media posts, right? And all of a sudden, you realize it's about you. And you just get all inflamed for a little bit and then you realize how stupid it is and that anybody with a reasonable head on their shoulders doesn't pay any attention to what's on Facebook anyway. But for a moment there, that trial is very real. They can be short or they can be long. So some of you are going through trials that have lasted your adult life. They can be physical trials. They can be emotional. It can be a personal experience or it can be the experience of someone else. No one knows the pain of a parent who watches their child suffer. Oftentimes, trials are those moments in life when we find ourselves saying, I never thought this could happen to me, yet it's happening. Trials are painful. To say that trials are not painful or that we shouldn't feel pain 
would be to deny the reality of emotional and physical distress, which is very real. By nature, a trial is painful. It's going to hurt. The word trial doesn't carry with it that idea of a cheerful experience. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Today's there's a trial. I just love going through this. I hope it lasts another five years. Yet James says, consider it joy. He says, consider it real joy, pure joy, when you face trials. Now, now most of us, and this is me, most of us hear that word consider, and we think, oh, okay, I considered it, but I, I don't believe it, <laughs> right? We, we think that consider means we just let it pass through our mind, and, and, and then we move on. Or we let it pass through our mind, and may, maybe we should consider it for a little bit, and then we're like, no, not doing that. But consider here is actually a command. It's not optional. He's not saying, I just want you to think about this. He's saying, consider it this way. This is the way that we are to face trials. It's not optional for a Christian. It's a command. Now, most people would be offended in the midst of their suffering if I came to them and said, oh, just grin and bear it. Just suck it up, buttercup, as my wife tells me every other day. Just laugh it off. It's nothing. But that's not what James is saying. James is saying, I want you to consider your pain. I want you to consider your loss. I want you to consider your heartache. I want you to consider your grief. I want you to consider your struggle. I want you to consider your painful memories, he says. I want you to consider it all. Every difficult dimension. Every new and unpredicated element. And I want you to consider that in light of what you know to be true about God. You see, that's how you count it pure joy. And I want you right now, I want you to participate for just a minute, and I want you to, as quickly as you can, I want you to jot down on that piece of paper that you're holding. Or if you don't have a piece of paper, write it on the back of a guy's head that doesn't have any hair. Just write it that right there in front of you. I, I want you to write down as, as fast as you can what you know to be true about God. What, what, what do you know tr to be true about God? Like God is faithful? Someone said last night, God is loving. God is forgiving. I, I want you to write it down as fast as you can. As many things that you know to be true. And your pen should not have stopped yet. If your pen has not stopped yet, then what's the problem? The problem is, is we don't know as much about him as we should. If you were to ask me all the ways that I love Sarah, now many of them would be embarrassing to you and to her, but I could go on. In fact, I did that one day. I, I, I can't remember what it was, but I think I, I sent her 13 or 21, or I can't remember what the, this 20, what'd you say? Oh, she was running. Yeah, she was running and she likes to be encouraged, like, you know, suck it up, buttercup, keep running, right? Blowing the horn on the side by side when I'm following behind her. But, but I just sent her just one after another all, all the ways that I love her, the things I love about her. We should know these things about God because that's what James is telling us to do. He says, hold all of these, all of these 
hurts and these pains of this trial, I want you to hold it up against what you know to be true about God. What do you know to be true about God? God loves us. God is for us. God goes ahead of us and he fights for us. God never leaves us or forsakes us. God comforts us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us. He forgives us. He restores us. He's patient with us. He's at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, how does that line up with your trial? Doesn't a trial fit in all things? It does. He is right there in the midst of it. James is saying, rejoice not in the reality that the trial is painful, but rejoice that the experience is going to yield something good, even if that something good is your own transformation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles, and let me tell you, the light and momentary troubles he was talking about are the same things that we've already listed. Your spouse running off with another person. You being, uh, being uh, uh, diagnosed with terminal disease. The loss of your child before you see them graduate or the loss of your parent before you even graduate. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We are to embrace trials as God's instrument of transformation in our life. Embracing the transformation that comes only through the trials and testing of our faith. Testing of our faith. Man, I hated tests when I was in school. I haven't had to take a test, well, as Bigelow pointed out last night, other than a sleep test. How many of you guys have been through that torture, right? Hey, the one you do at home is nothing compared to the one in the hospital with that 80-year-old lady in there poking you every two minutes, putting a different mask on you, trying to suffocate you to see if you'll stop breathing. But we used to hate tests. Some of you young people still dislike tests. In, in school, though, how were we taught to take tests? In fact, we thought we had a really good teacher when the teacher said what? This is going to be on the test, right? They'd say it about five times for the really dumb ones in the class. This is going to be on the test. You better write it down. And so we would cram, we would memorize what we were told the answers would be so that we could then pass the test. But tests aren't for that. The type of test that James is talking about, the tests that let us know where we stand. They let us know where we need to put more emphasis in our application of knowledge. Knowledge that we don't cram, but knowledge that we hide in our heart. God's word. Tests are an opportunity to apply the most important truths to the real life situations that have caused us to pause. That have caused us to want to give up or give in or just walk away altogether. Back in the book of Exodus, remember early in our years, we've gone through the Bible from cover to cover. You remember that big Exodus? The Israelites, as God led them out of Egypt and he's leading them towards the promised land, they knew two things when they left. The first is, is that they knew that they were gonna go and worship God somehow, some way, because that's what Moses told Pharaoh. We're gonna go worship God. 
And the second thing that they knew is that they were headed to a new land, a land where they didn't have to build their own houses, a land that flowed with milk and honey, that had grapes that were this big. They knew those two things. Now, how long it would get there, the direction that they would have to go, the duration of the journey, it was unknown. But despite all of the challenges, all of their limitations, these things were overcome by the knowledge of God's presence as they followed the cloud by day and the fire by night. And what did they learn? They learned during that time that knowing God's presence was more important than knowing God's specific purpose. And a trial is the same thing. Knowing God's presence far outweighs understanding in the moment where that trial or that test is taking us. The purpose may only be known over time, but the trial itself lets us know that God, God is present. He's present. How do we know that? He promised it to us. Now, it's important to note something at this point in James's instruction. We're about halfway through. And notice that there is not a hint of escape in this passage. Not once does he encourage us to find a way out of our trial. Just hurry up, solve the problem, get out of it as fast as you can. But yet, isn't that where we're at when we're in the middle of a trial? I was with a person this week who is taking care of an aging family member whose time is very short. And it is stressful if you have been there. It is stressful not knowing what the next hour is going to bring, not knowing if it's days, not knowing if it's weeks, not knowing if there's going to be suffering or if there's going to be peace, not knowing any of those things. And I said, if I can give you just one word, one word of advice, don't rush it. Take and live in the moment. Because the moment that you try to just rush through the trial, you are going to miss out. You're going to miss out on some of the most amazing, the most amazing moments. Not once are we encouraged to find a way out of our trial. In fact, the opposite is true. God is not so interested in getting you out of a trial. Now, that may be hard to accept because we think that that's the reason why God exists is to get us out of trials. That we just need to pray hard enough, that we just need to study hard enough, that we just need to say the magic phrase and boom, just like a genie in the bottle, he's going to make it all go away. Friends, that is not what his word says. That is not God's character. Now, every once in a while, he'll give you relief. And it is very, very obvious. And you need to be grateful for that. But you know what? Most of you aren't. Because right the next week even, some of you have been relieved of cancer in your life. And yet you can't even make it out on the weekends to worship the one who relieved you of that. And we wonder why he doesn't give us these things that we want. Because we won't be faithful. That's why. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. And yes, that sounds really mean. And I mean it that way. I mean it that way. You should not expect him 
to just boom, get rid of the trial. That's not the purpose of trials. And we throw it away anyway. So why would he? His command, his command is for us to let him take us through it. Perseverance, he says, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, do not circumvent God's process of change in your life by trying to remove yourself from the trial. That is why we find ourselves over and over again disgusted, disappointed, disillusioned. God, why? Where are you at? Because we've never once persevered. We quit when the going gets tough. And listen, I'm right there with you. I have not mastered this. It's hard. Do not circumvent God's process. Rather, allow the process of change contained in the trial to run its course and to have its perfect result. Now, that's hard to do. But we aren't alone. Do you remember last week? Do you remember last week the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? It's dynamite, right? It's that dunamis power that God puts it. Why do you think he gave us that power? So we could persevere. So that we could trust. The Apostle Paul would write in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, how did Paul know this? By giving up? How did Paul know this? Because God just miraculously snapped his fingers and everything went away for Paul? No. No, Paul endured shipwrecks. Paul endured isolation. Paul endured not being at the favorite's lunch table all the time. Boy, that would just really stink, wouldn't it? Paul, Paul who was imprisoned. Paul who was wrongly accused. Paul who had to move from place to place who was beaten within an inch of his life. In verse 12, how did he learn he could do all things through Christ? He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, including trials, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What about you? What are you learning right now? What have you learned in the trials that you've experienced? The times when things didn't go your way, but you leaned in and you persevered. These are the things that we encourage each other with. You know, if you think about it, we spend more energy trying to avoid the trials of life. We'll go to any length to get out from underneath the pain than persevering. But endurance is what's left after we've persevered. James continues in verse 4, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he says, If any of you do lack wisdom, then ask him for it who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Lack. Lack means to run out. Lack is to fall short. But please recognize James is not calling for more head knowledge. Wisdom, wisdom is not the retention of facts. Wisdom is putting the facts we possess into action when it matters most. 
And James says, if you lack that, if you lack that, then ask for it and you will receive it. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew 7, 7. He says, seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. James describes two critical features to the ask. And one is generosity and the other is without finding fault. Generosity means that when you ask and God gives, he gives generously. He doesn't give you just enough, but he will give you great insight, great wisdom if you persevere. It's all connected. And without finding fault means that he will not remind you of your previous failures. In fact, he stands ready to raise your head above the dark clouds of your past. But there's one condition when asking verse 6, and that is faith. The person who asks for wisdom must believe and not doubt. (laughs) To ask in faith means that we ask with complete confidence that God knows what he's doing and will see us through to the other side. You see, that's faith. To believe that God knows what he's doing and that he will see us through to the other side. If you think about it, doubting is swinging back and forth between trusting in ourselves and trusting in God. So how do you know if you're a doubter? Well, James paints a picture of what one looks like. He describes a doubter as one who is like the waves of the sea that are tossed back and forth. And so when you've experienced a storm, now we're not right next to the ocean here, unfortunately, but if you walked downtown or walked between buildings and you've seen the the swirl of the rain in the air and how that wind gets it and just pushes it here and one one minute it's coming from the west and it swings around and it's coming from the east, he says that's what it's like in your life if you're a doubter. I'm a doubter. Are there any other doubters in the room? I'm a doubter. I wish I wasn't. But I find myself, I find, in weeks like this, doubting. It, it, do I have any business doing this? I must not be very good or there would be more people here. Oh, that person's evil. It must be because of me. Should, should, should I do these things? Even though I know better, I still doubt. See, a doubter is divided between two desires, the desire to get out from under the trial and the necessity of trusting God. You see, that's where the battle is. That's the being tossed back and forth. We just want to get out of that feeling. (laughs) We We just want to feel good about it. Or we trust and we persevere with God. A heart filled with spiritual wisdom will stay put, will stay the course under the care of God no matter how crazy the storm gets. You see, the greatest challenge in facing a trial is disciplining our minds to seek wisdom from God when we would rather give in to our emotions. (laughs) That's what it boils down to is being disciplined to seek the wisdom of God when we would rather just 
just be overcome and be done. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, but it's true. Trials invite us to seek God's wisdom, to see things from his perspective, to deepen our faith and the assurance of his presence. Now, we think, we think that the worst thing that could happen is to experience pain in our life. We think that the worst thing that could happen is to endure a trial that puts our faith to the test. But what we need to understand is that the worst thing that could happen to us is for us to not know Christ. Now, there's two levels of knowing. There isn't a person that hasn't heard by now of God in this part of the United States. And for that matter, Jesus. They've at least heard their names used, <laughs> whether in con or appropriate context or not. They've at least heard their name. Now, I'm not talking about just knowing and knowing who they are. I'm talking about knowing them like I know Sarah. I'm talking about you knowing God by knowing his word, by trusting him and persevering, by choosing to trust him, even when everything in your gut is saying, just bail out, <laughs> just throw a fit, just be done. Because if you don't know him, then my friends, there is coming a day when the pain of trials will never cease. And the fire is never quenched. If you have Christ as your savior, if you know him, if you are walking with him, he promises there's coming a day when there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more tears, there's no more trials. And how can he promise that? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus experienced every trial, every test imaginable to us. And he did it in human form. He did it without the power of God. He did it without pulling the escape hatch and jumping out of the plan. He went all the way to the finish line. And he endured the thing that we fear the most in any trial. He endured death in the grave. And the same power that has been placed inside of us to allow us to persevere through our trials is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, from the grave, and delivered him to the right hand of God. And that's why James, and that's why Jesus can say, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. These trials and these tests are temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that is peace and joy and rest from those trials, living eternally in the presence of God, never to be tried again. And so James says, be encouraged. He says, blessed is the man, the woman who perseveres, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Trials and hardships. They come in all different forms. 
and they will come to every one of us while we are here. And so what hardship has you hard-pressed today that has you ready to give in or to give up or to walk away? Don't quit. Stay the course. Endure. Persevere. Because he has promised us a victory. He has promised us the crown of life. But if you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're missing one important piece. And that is his Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. And for those who have received it, it's up to us to engage it and to not give up. Yes, we will grow weary. Yes, we will grow tired. But Isaiah says that he will make us rise on the wings of eagles. He will strengthen us and we will endure. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we are encouraged today by the truth of your word that our troubles and hardships have opened the door to the promise of your presence, the promise of your strength, the promise of endurance and hope. And today, Father, we see your love for us and how you use trials and tests in our life to strengthen our faith and our trust in you. May we find great freedom in this truth. May we find the courage to embrace the trials we find ourselves in the midst of right now. God, I, I pray. I pray for Eileen. Lord, she has lost children. She has lost a husband. Father, she has endured so many things in this life, and yet this may be one of the hardest to be separated from your church and your people. I pray, Father, that you would continue to strengthen her that she could endure for Paula and, and for others who are unable now to leave their homes, but who watch faithfully every week, just reaching out for connection with your people. I am so grateful that you are with them and that you are guiding them, that you are giving them the courage to wait for your return for them, that you will come and that you will soon bring them home to you. For those that are at home today caring for aging parents or a sick child, those that are in this room that are reeling from the pain of divorce or separation, disillusionment with you, or at least the you that they thought they were following, but not the you that's described in your word. I, I pray that they'll see you for who you are and that they will call out to you and that you will strengthen them as you promised, that you will comfort them. Lord, thank you for saving us, for calling us your children, for loving us enough to lead us to this truth. Grow our faith, deepen our trust in you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And it's in his name that we respond. This is your opportunity, church, to respond. If you're outside of a relationship with him, come as Jessica did. We've got to change the clothes for you. and God's got a transformation for your life in store for you. If you come today and you're in the middle of a trial, a test that just has you, has you perplexed, <laughs> has you pushed in a corner, you don't have to be alone. 
there is a room full of people who have probably been in that same corner or close to it that would love to pray with you and encourage you. And a couple of them are going to be in the back there at the next steps area. You're looking for a home where you can continue to grow in the truth. Then come as dozens and hundreds have over the last years. And be welcome home where we'll grow with you and encourage you. Come, respond as we sing.